Well, good morning. We have uh, continued our series and the book of John, and the whole purpose of this series is so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, and that's what John chapter 20, verse 31 says, that these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that's what we want uh, as we go into this study, that our lives would intersect with the person and the work of Jesus Christ, that um, you would realize that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation. There's nothing you can do to, to make right your own sin condition. Only Jesus can cure that for us. And once we believe that, then we want to have a life that reflects who he is, not who we are. We want to have life in his name. And so we've had the presentation of the Christ in the book of John. From chapters 1 through 12, Jesus is being presented to us. He's being presented um, and he was accepted by some and followed. He was um, questioned by others and they walked away because he didn't fit into their little box of what they thought Jesus should be. And then we saw people who rejected and waged war against him. We are seeing some realities in John. And, you know, whether or not you, you uh, believe this, I, I think every one of us are people of faith. We all have a picture of what reality is, of what is true. And we all kind of make, you know, assertions. We kind of make thoughts of, of what, it's, what, what is reality. And, and that's called faith. Faith forms your view of the world, your view of self your view of your purpose, your view of meaning. And uninformed and, and kind of restrained, your faith says, I'd like to think that. I'd like to think that God is this. I'd like to think that we are. I'd like to think I live for. I'd like to think our purpose is. But when it's informed by the scriptures, and when it's set free by the scriptures, we actually can say, I believe that God is, because the scriptures tell us that. And that's why we have to be tethered in our belief system to the scriptures rather than just what we'd like to think. And John presents that to us. He presents the reality of Jesus, Jesus. And here's, excuse me, here's what we find. We find that God exists in John one, one, it says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. God exists. We, we know that Jesus is another reality. Jesus is God. It says the word was with God and the word being Jesus was God. We understand this new reality that Jesus created everything, that all things were made by him and everything exists ultimately to reflect his glory. We also understand that we rejected God. We rejected God because we love darkness rather than light. But we also understand this reality tells us that God loves us anyway. He didn't let our sin get in the way. He didn't, he didn't let our failure get in the way of his love. And therefore, he sent Jesus, his only son, to die on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins. We also understand that in this reality, we must believe. We must believe in Christ, the bread of life, the light of the world, the good shepherd, the door, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth and the life and the true vine for salvation. And we know in this reality that if we believe, we receive. What do we receive? We receive love. We receive his grace. We receive his righteousness, his forgiveness, a relationship with him, 
And on top of this all, we receive eternal life. And therefore, that life, right now, we live in eternity. We live for eternity. And therefore, we want a life that reflects who Jesus is. And what we find John doing is he's, he shows us what Jesus is all about. In chapters 13 through 17 of John, we're going to get what's called the farewell discourse. Jesus is teaching about what life is going to be like without him physically here. He was preparing to die, to go to the grave, and then to raise and ascend and be with the Father in heaven. So chapters 13 through 17 are him teaching the disciples what that's going to look like. And in the beginning of chapter 13, he's purifying his purpose. And he's saying, um, you know, you've heard it. That, that you're to be served or that people in, in the right religious environment, that they were, they should be served, that the world should revolve around them. No, he gets down on his hands and knees and he washes their feet. And he says, if anyone wants to be great among you, let him be a servant. You know, he's, he's talking about that. He, we're not here to be served. We're here to serve. He also is purifying his people. What do we get in, in uh, John chapter 13? We get Judas leaving to betray Jesus. And therefore, the, the 11 remain. Why did he leave? Because Jesus didn't fit into his little mix of what he wanted the Messiah to be. And he would wa- rather deny him and sell him out than he would follow him. So we have Judas leaving. And now we're coming into this part where he's preparing them for his death and resurrection. And he's going to show them a new reality, a new reality of the spirit, the spirit of God that would live in them and dwell in them and now dwells in us through faith in Christ. So that the new reality is that when I have Jesus, I have the spirit. When you have put your faith and trust in Jesus, you have the very spirit of God living with us, within you. And our quest over this time is to discover and to relate and to live in the spirit. The Bible presents a Trinitarian God, a Trinity, three separate persons, one God. This is a mystery. And I still haven't figured it out fully because I am one person and I have a problem with multiple personalities. No, I'm kidding. I I would not be a sane person with that. And so I would need help. He is three people, one God. That is unique to who he is. We are not like that. And so we don't understand that attribute of who God is. But the scriptures nonetheless say that when we baptize someone, we baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is talking about his disciples being alone, he says, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to put my spirit within you. And it all comes together that when we have Jesus, we have the spirit. And you know what? We, we realize that we are, as I look at the church today, we are out of balance on our understanding and application of the Spirit in our lives. We either, as a church, I'm talking capital C, not necessarily Fellowship Bible Church, but we'd be included in that mix. We are either out of balance in overemphasizing the Spirit, or we, we're so freaked out by the Spirit that we just stay away from the Spirit. We don't mention Him a, a whole lot. And so because we don't grow in what we don't know, we just ignore the Spirit. And and we're not called to do that. We're actually called to engage the Spirit. Jesus gave us the Spirit so that we would have life in the Spirit. 
And this new reality should beg a response from us. How do, we, how do we respond to the reality of the living God through his spirit living in us? So let's begin. I'm going to join up in the discussion with Jesus in John chapter 14, verses 15 and following. It says, Jesus says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And if I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and, we, and will be in you. Let's unpack this, because here it's just great, clear evidence that Jesus is giving the Holy Spirit to be with us. He's, it's, he's given to every believer, and he dwells within the life of the believer. The Greek term here is called parakaliton, which means someone who is called to walk alongside of you for help. It's help. Um, I remember when my son Nathan was two years old and I was down at the beach and I looked up at the beach and there was a big deck about 12 feet tall from the ground and there's no railing on that deck. And he was two years old and he was headed for the deck to fall over. And I, I yelled from the beach. I said, Nathan, stop. And he was just two years old and he saw dad, you know, and I'm thinking he's going, he's going. And I yelled up, someone help Nathan. And and, you know, the whole family kind of came out there and, you know, they didn't want to run after him because what does a two-year-old do when you run after him? They run away, okay? So, so they were kind of just going, you know, saying, and they grabbed him and everyone started to cry because his brush with death, you know? And I went, woo! You know, so, so it's kind of like that with the Spirit where God is calling out the Spirit, come alongside my church, come alongside that believer. And it's not just when you're about to step off of a, a deck. This is for all of life. It says forever. I will be with you forever. And we have that. We have the Spirit to help us. And that's what, why, why do we have the Spirit? The Spirit is my help from God to love and obey Christ. Look at how this starts out. This passage in verse 15, it says, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus is saying that as we love him and we follow him and we obey him, He's not left us to figure it all out. He's given us the spirit to guide us in loving and, and obeying him. Now think about this. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, the father giving us the son and the son loves us so much. And you're going to just see this over chapter 14 and 15, 16 and 17, how much Jesus loves us. That he loved us so much, he sent his spirit to live in us. Uh, That's the whole picture. To help us love him and love others as we obey and follow him. And and I believe there are five things that uh, Jesus has given us, has shared with us through the spirit. We're not left to just figuring it out on our own. And the first one is this. The Spirit is God sharing His presence in us to see reality. Look at how it says in verse 17. It says, This helper is going to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And that's the whole picture. He, he's going to show us the reality of what is true, of who God is, 
who we are and an invitation to believe. There's realities in this world that John brings out between light and darkness, between um, uh, God and Satan, between good and evil, between truth and deception. And these forces are battling against each other so that the spirit, when he's in our lives, will open our eyes to the reality of Christ and the reality of what life looks like in his name. We need, folks, to see reality. We must have reality. And the Spirit opens our eyes. It's the presence of, the, of God to help us see reality. Here's why we need it. Because many of us are living a fantasy. We're living a dream. We're not really living in reality. We're chasing after this concept of self or concept of success or concept of fulfillment, but we aren't living in reality. And so we look around us in the media and we look and we make comparative statements. How the Jones is doing. They moved to a different house. We need to move to a different house. Why do we do that? Because you're chasing a vision, a fantasy for that. If you're in high school, why are you dressing? Because that's what cool is. If, if you're in college, what are you listening? Because that's what college students listen to. We all chase these little fantasies of what the right, correct life looks like. But are they really real? Now, I'm going to date myself. How many of you remember the show Fantasy Island? All right. I'm not as old as I thought I was this morning. Ricardo Montalban ran an island. And he had a little short man who was tattoo, and he would stand on top of a bell tower, and when a plane would come in, he'd go, De plane, de plane, and Ricardo would give them their fantasy. And they found out that as they lived their fantasy on this island, it really wasn't a fantasy, it was more of a nightmare each week. And I would just contend, we don't need Fantasy Island anymore, because the truth in our world is stranger than fiction. It is. There's fantasy all around us. Our world, we are messed up. We're chasing after these fantasies. And yet the truth is is just there for us and to be guided to us by the spirit. A fantasy is that next drink to an alcoholic, the next piece of porn to an addict, the next dollar to a thief, an excuse to the, the habitual liar or an abuser to the desperate woman. And those of us outside of the mix who see reality, we go... Stop! Those things are killing you. Those things are going to bring you down. I love you so much. I hate that when that, that's destroying you. And you just go on doing the next one because it's a little band-aid over a massive wound in your life called depravity. The Spirit is to guide us into truth so that we would see reality. We need His presence. And you have it through the Spirit. Let's keep reading in verse 18 and 19. It says this. I will not leave you as orphans. There's that presence. I will come to you yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live. You also will live. Let's just pause there. Uh, Because I believe that through this, the spirit of God is sharing his power in us to live in reality. What does it say in verse 19? It says, because I live You also will live. 
But let me just point you up to verse 12 before this passage. It says this, truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the father. Now, what does Jesus mean by this? What is, what kind of power is he talking about? Is it his amazing miracles that he's, they're going to actually do more miracles than Jesus. They're going to make, they're going to be better teachers than Jesus, but than what he did. I think it has to do more with the scope of their ministry, that this would be a movement of God, that his kingdom would move throughout the earth, around the world. It would result in the trans, transformation of individual lives and of whole cultures and societies. And they would get to experience that because of the power of the spirit where the church is sharing him, where the church is teaching him, where the church is loving others in him through compassion and through service. And it's no wonder that when in Acts chapter one, verse eight, when Jesus was was going to give the Holy Spirit to them. He precursed it and he says, wait here for the Holy Spirit, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you will be my, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These are the greater works that Jesus is calling them into. And it's because we have the power of God. It's not just power to expand the gospel mission in this world. It's also power to live for Christ, to represent him, to to grow in him, to love others, even those who hate you without withdrawing or ignoring or judging them. And that, folks, is power beyond my capacity and capability. I must have the spirit to live in this life. We must have the power of the spirit. Let's keep reading. It says in that day, verse 20, it says in that day, you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me and he who loves me will be loved by my father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home in with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. What is Jesus saying here? Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to gather. He's talking about love. Love is mentioned more than any other word in that, in that passage. And the spirit is God sharing his love in us to unite in reality, look at the connection to the unity of the Trinity here. You have the Father and the Son in loving relationship with the Spirit, and then the Spirit given to us in our, in our hearts when we trust Christ. That is God saying, hey, join us. Join our fellowship. That's why he called in the fellowship of the Spirit. We were called to enter into the Trinity and the fellowship with God through Christ and the spirit when we entered into koinonia with each other, that we would have this fellowship with each other. And there was, was this connection where we would actually be unified with God and the springboard then would that would that his love would invade our lives and then wouldn't stop and dead end. It would move through our lives into the people around us that we would have love for others. 
Loving relationships reflecting the love of God. And the Spirit then is the one who helps us love God and loves love others. The Spirit helps me. Helps me to love the people around me. It helps me to say no to a judgmental heart. A critical spirit. A negative attitude. Personal pride. Revenge. Envy. Anger. Feuds. Arguments. Anything that spawns disunity. The Spirit is in my life to help me love and unite in reality. If I will listen, and if you will listen. If you will listen to the Spirit's leading and allow Him to lead you, we will all protect the unity of love from God and for others in our lives. And this is just a, a plain reality. We need a better view of love. We need a better grid for love than the one that we're buying with this world. The one we're buying in this world says, you love me and I'll love you back. You be good to me and I'll be good to you back. You be sensitive to me and I'll be nice to you. And the reality is, is that just doesn't work because here's, here's why it doesn't work. Because you love yourself more than anyone else. And so do I. And because we love ourselves so much, we always know what it what we need, what we want from others. And outside of the spirit and in the flesh, it's all about how you can serve me, how you can make me feel better, how you can do things for me. And we, the spirit takes us out of ourselves and into the fellowship of God himself so that we see a whole different pattern, a pattern of love that no longer says, if you love me, no, I'm going to love you. But you don't believe like I do. Instead of going, well, you go oh, I'm glad to go to a church that you're not in. We go, no, I'm going to love you. If someone doesn't act like us, we don't go, oh, evil person, I'm a saint. No, we understand that we are in, not because of anything we've done, but only because of God's grace. And folks, the ground is level at the cross. None of us can be good enough. You discount the cross if you think you can earn your salvation by coming to church, being a nice person, where your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds and God kind of owes it to you to give you salvation. No, when you realize that nothing you can do can earn your salvation, it can only be received, it can only be given, then the cross becomes the central picture in your life. Then love defeats selfishness. And the spirit is to really empower our lives to love God first. So, so many of us are just pursuing our own vision for love. And what it really turns out to is that it's just lust or control or manipulation or jealousy or revenge or rage. We need the love of God. Another thing this tells us is since we're called into unity with God and each other, it tells us that our walk with Christ is never to be in the singular. It's supposed to be in the plural. It's, I, I hear so many, it just grosses me out sometimes when Christians say, I just have, it's me and God. I don't need the church. I don't need it. No, you do. I do. I need you. I need you in my life because God wants to grow me in my love and I can't love if I don't have people in my life. I can love myself pretty well, but I need people in my life. I need people who are, who are different than me. 
I need difficult people because I show that when I'm difficult, God loves me anyway. And that's how my love grows. God has also given us through the Spirit gifts. Gifts from the Spirit to to weave us into a community that loves and unites people to Christ and the body of believers. And you have all been given a gift. If you trusted in Christ, you're gifted with a, a gift of the Spirit that would be used for God's purposes. The Spirit is God sharing His love in us to unite us in reality. So we have His presence, we have His power, we have His love. Let's keep reading. Verse 25, it says this. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. See, the Spirit of God is God sharing his truth in us to understand reality. Look at what it says. It says, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. This is a great work of the Spirit that is it guides us into truth. We understand and apply the truth of God in our lives. And there's a difference with the Spirit. Without the Spirit, it's just information. With the Spirit, it's transformation. And so there's a difference. You can come to church and you can know the Word without being transformed. You can know it, you can articulate it, you can repeat it on a test or in a conversation. You can develop really rich spiritual phrases, religious phrases that just convince others that you know the word. But if you do not do it, it's just excellent information, truth even, but it is not power in you for transformation. The Spirit's role in your and my lives are to come in and to take truth and so that we would understand what it means in our situation, in our context. And that when we follow the Spirit, our lives, our attitudes, our behaviors, our actions would change. That's called transformation. Not just what to do, but how to do it. And once we have an eye-opening experience resulting in the changes in our attitudes and behaviors, then we have transformation. And the Spirit helps us do that. The Spirit helps us apply truth in our lives. And that's also why we need each other. I need to hear when we're talking about the Scriptures, I need to hear from you what God is doing in your life with it. That's one of the blessings of a small group is when we can sit around the Word of God and once we understand what God's Word is saying, then we can go, what's this going to look like in your life? What is this looking life? If, if, what, if you really believe this, or because I really believe this, this is what, I need you to tell me those things. Because that's how I grow. It, it may not be the same in all applications from your life to mine, but there's at least some transference of someone trusting God and obeying Him that, that results in an encouragement and exhortation of my life by the Spirit to follow. We're called to do that. We're also called to listen to the Spirit and to obey the Spirit in our lives. That when He convicts us because of His love for us, when He goes, stop, that'll kill you. Or come on, walk with me today. Get up out of that lazy chair and, and let's walk with me. When He does that, that we have a heart that's soft, that we will listen and we will follow. Not necessarily because we understand everything, but because we love Him. We love Jesus and we want to follow Him. The Spirit helps us do that. So don't ignore conviction in your life. 
You cannot have conversion without conviction. So cultivate a soft, flexible heart of conviction. Let's keep reading. Verse 27 says this. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. I think this fifth element is God sharing his peace in us to hope in reality. The spirit gives peace. And what I've seen is when Christians have had the spirit of God and they've lived in the power of the spirit of God, peace is declared in some of the most chaotic, (coughs) uncontrollable environments Uh, where we're in turbulence and in chaos. There's a hope, hope for restoration. The New Testament church grabbed a hold of the spirit and with that they got the peace of God so that they could literally lose everything, run for their lives and wherever they were planted, wherever they planted their feet, guess what they did? They shared Christ. They didn't start a little support group that said, oh, I lost everything for the gospel. I need to go through this Bible study that will help me do that. No, they They understood, they understood their hope was ultimately in Christ. And they found that peace. You know, that's why we kind of started finding hope at our church on Tuesday nights. So that people without the peace of God could find the hope that there is in Christ and trust Christ so that through the spirit, peace would be declared in their lives. We're called into that. We're called into that. The spirit is that peace in us, the confidence and assurance of a complete restoration of all things through Christ. The Bible even says that the spirit is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. And what is to come is something we were to hope in. In Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, it says, In him also, you, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. What scripture is saying there is when the spirit, until you meet Christ, the spirit is that down payment on eternity to remind us that this world is not all there is. If something horrendous happened to you where darkness came into your life and you wonder, how will I ever escape this? And it looks like death is going to be that place where you, the spirit is, no, no, no. The story is not over in you. The spirit reminds you, no, live now because then this is not all there is. This is just the beginning. And when you die, then the the true reality comes in of who you will be through Christ. So it's that down payment on eternity that we're given so that we might hope in Christ. Because we're either going to hope in this world and the things of this world and the positions of this world and the gadgets of this world or we're going to hope in Christ. Our response then to the Spirit. If he is the presence of God, the power of God, the love of God, the truth of God, and the peace of God, then my response is love and obey Christ. Because when you love and obey Christ, you are guaranteed of those that God just shares more of himself with you. He sets the spirit free to move in you. 
And why? Because love is the motivation. If you love, you will obey. Don't believe me? Okay. Well, if you don't love, or you love conditionally, or you're selfish, then you'll never obey because you believe people exist to serve you. And the other people should flex for you. That, uh, and the, the fruit of that is an insensitivity, which comes down into just being a lack of submission, or ju- a judgmental spirit, which is a lack of grace, or impatience, which is a lack of tolerance, or disinterest, which is a lack of awareness. All of these amount to a lack of love. But when we love someone, everything changes. We submit. I know you don't like submit. You live in America. Welcome. But submission is what results when we love someone. You don't believe me? Well, when I marry someone and she walks down that aisle with her dad and I said, who, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And her dad goes, her mother and I do. And he kisses and the tear rolls down and they join here and we come up here and I go and I give them vows. These vows are, they say in essence, out of all the people in your life that you've dated, out of all the ones you've flirted with, you're going to love this one now. Which is the reason many of you just want to stay single, right? <laughs> no, but but when, you, when you do that, when you do that, you're saying, no, I'm saying no to all the others so I can love this one. What happens to your finances? Well, I've seen what happens to your finances. You're in college. You have $30 a week to spend. You typically were buying pizzas with that. Now it's to pay for gas to get to that person where you can spend just a few hours with and you'll drive in the middle of the night, scarily, to get back so that you can take the test in the morning. Because your whole agenda and your whole income changes when you love somebody. You do this willingly. No one's there. Your parents are going, love her, love her. No, no, you do this willingly when you love. That's why the Spirit's goal in your life is to help you love Jesus and obey him. See, when you love him, when you love him and you love him with your first and your best, everything else follows. Everything else follows. And, and I don't know how to love him unless I have the Spirit. Neither do you. And you're going to see Jesus draw out how these followers, these disciples, would learn to live in the power of the Spirit. You'll see in John chapter 15 and 16 and in 17 when he prays for the church. And he prays for us about how our lives would be defined by love. And he put his very spirit in us to help us do that. And so we have that opportunity. You know, we talked about three responses to Jesus. I think there's three responses to the spirit. The first one is to be led by him. And when you're led by him, you're filled with him and you bear the fruit of him. Put down this passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. You'll see the fruit of the spirit that's mentioned That when you're led by the Spirit, this is what happens in your life. And they all help you love and obey Jesus. You can ignore Him. And for many years I did. Even as a Christian, I ignored the Spirit. 
because it freaked me out. I've seen a lot of abuses on it, and I was more scared of, of an abuse than I was confident in the identity of the Spirit in my life. And when you ignore, guess what happens? You tend to live in the flesh, and you grieve the Spirit. You grieve the Spirit. All you have is this call to love and follow Jesus, but you have no power to do that. The Spirit must lead you to do that. Or you could deny the Spirit and have a hardened heart and God will oppose you. Scriptures are very clear on this. I believe that this is what blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is about. It's saying you don't exist. God does not exist. And there's no forgiveness in that. There's no grace. There's no love. We talked about how you can be and we can be one of these in any given time in our lives. We can be wise and be led. We can be foolish and ignore. And we can be evil and deny. Where do you want to be? I want to be led. I want to grow. I want to love Jesus more even tomorrow than I do today. I want to follow him because his love for me only wants my best. I'm not threatened anymore by God calling me to do something, to give up something, because I know that he's all about what's best for me and loving me. I also know it's not about me anymore. And it's going to be about him. And the only hope I have to, to transform my life away from myself and into God is through the power of the Spirit. Let's pray for that. Would you pray with me right now? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that has revealed to us the reality of the Spirit. May we be people who live in this reality, who are led by your Spirit, receiving, receiving your presence, your power, your love, your truth, and your peace. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.